This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, I'm Jill Thompson, creator of Scary Godmother. You might know me from things like Sandman or Wonder Woman or maybe my CM Punk t-shirt. You are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comicast with Joe and Matt. Listen and enjoy. Welcome to episode 120 of THN. Can you believe we've made it 120 episodes? I've wasted my life. I think I said that 112 and you said the same thing. Well, we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 19th. My name is Matt Baum. That is at Matt Baumstein, S-T-E-I-N, on the Twitter. You can't say this. What? Huge spoilers. When I'm not snapping the necks of my enemies without remorse because I'm no Superman. Everybody knows, dude. I write the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. We, uh, everybody knows. I'm really sorry. I everybody tried to stop him. Everybody knows. I tried to stop him. I'm Joe Patrick. That's at Joe Patrick 116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not contemplating leaving Earth to think about what the Man of Steel did and repeat my disdain for the end of the movie over and over again like a damn broken record to any alien race that will listen, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. I feel like all I've done in the last seven days is talk about Man of Steel. I know. And while you're gone, I would put on like a, a robot outfit like Steel and defend Legend Comics. Thank you. I would do that. That's nice. This week on the show, you'll hear reviews of Max Brooks' latest zombie comic that isn't World War Z and the conclusion of the Age of Ultron. After that, we'll join a host of angels to cut the head off the devil and throw it at you while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. That was a Run DMC reference. I got it. And we'll visit the team. HN Sanctum Sanctorum, where, get it. where James Gandolfini has made the ultimate sacrifice to tell us the secrets of next week's comics. Might be too soon, and I'm yeah, sorry if it is. Yeah, it's too soon. And finally, we'll wash down the Man of Steel movie with a little Superman Earth 1 Volume 2. When we hit you with our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before all that celebrity death profiteering, let's take a moment to check the seasoning on the gabagool and crack open a bottle of vino for our weekend sopranos marathon and then we'll talk about this week's big news <laughs> i have no idea what gabagool is i know but i loved it every time they, they always said it. made it sound delicious gabagool you overcooked the gravy <laughs> another comics industry veteran passed away this week Fanographics co-publisher Kim Thompson died on Wednesday after a battle with lung cancer. Thompson had a 36-year career with a legendary independent publisher, having joined the Fanographics team in 1976. During his tenure with the company, Thompson edited iconic indie titles like Acme Novelty Library, Hate, and Castle Waiting, and contributed regularly to Fanographics periodicals The Comics Journal and Amazing Heroes. In the publisher's statement, Fanographics co-founder Gary Grouth said, quote, he was my partner and close friend for 36 years. He was only 56 years old. It's horrible. That's bad. Another reason, and I'm not saying he was a smoker, but if you are smoking, quit. What's wrong with you? Lung cancer is bad news. It's a terrible thing. This is a huge loss. I mean, and this is a guy that did some amazing, amazing award-winning stuff with Fanographics. Yeah. Terrible. Thompson uh, was a European by birth, and he was raised there, and then you know came to America. And when... With his, you know, connections over there, he brought a lot of European talent to America, like Jason. And if it wasn't for the Love work that Jason. he did, we might have never 
we may have never even seen Jason's work. It's true. And they fight really hard for stuff like that. Because imagine coming to Marvel or DC and telling them, I got this guy. He does these anthropomorphic stories where nobody talks. Right. (laughs) Like, oh, God. But then you read it. It's wonderful stuff. But the list of things that he has contributed to and kind of shepherded out into the onto the racks is just is nothing short of amazing really and to have a voice like his from independent comics uh you know kind of fade away is as a real bummer and fanographics probably doesn't even exist without the stuff that he shepherded so it's true this is a major blow and hopefully someone can step up and do this in his stead in hollywood news Actor Robert Downey Jr. has signed a two-picture deal to return as Tony Stark slash Iron Man in 2015's Avengers 2 and the inevitable Avengers 3. The news comes after weeks of speculation and negotiation where it seemed a real possibility that RDJ, I really like that. That's what his friends call him. May not reprise his role as the armored Avenger. No mention was made about future Iron Man films, however, which may indicate that Iron Man 3 was the character's last solo outing. Joe. This is good news. We can't make an Avengers movie without Downey Jr. I think it is tremendous news you can for replace Marvel the Studios. Hulk. I don't think you can replace Iron Yeah, Man. I mean, and at this point, like, Mark Ruffalo is now in the Avengers. Yeah. And I think, like, it's one thing to replace an actor after The Incredible Hulk, which didn't light the world on fire. It, it was what it was. It it's, was a, it's a fine movie, and I yeah, like it, but it it's no Avengers. They dropped the ball in the abomination, but we're not going into that. <laughs> but I think, you know for disney or marvel studios to kind of be saying you know maybe we can like get rid of some of these dudes and cat and get some like lesser name actors in here to play yeah, some other this characters was not yeah this wasn't that at all and he- downey jr if you believe the the rumors and the and the talk said look if they go i go and that's what this was about not about getting him more money and who are they talking about replacing? Like, who, like, well, I don't know. Like, maybe you don't need Hawkeye, right? Or maybe you find somebody else to be Hawkeye see, that's not Jeremy Renner. It's too late for that. But that's not how their brains work, Matt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sons of bitches. And I think it's a total stand-up thing for uh, Robert Downey Jr. to do if that's true. Right. right on. And it's a very smart move by Disney and Marvel Studios to do whatever they could to make sure that guy stays on board. Now, as far as whether or not there will be any more Iron Man films. I don't know. I'm kind of okay with there not being. There were three. Yeah. There are so many other characters. Like, I'm I'm done. Like, give me three and, and out, and I'm fine with I'd it. I'd still like to see an Armor Wars. Yeah, I know, but... Man, that'd be cool. I know, but they should have brought, they should have done that in, like, the second or third one, right? Yeah. So... I like the third one. They probably should have done it in the third one. Yeah. And I'm saying, like, after Avengers 3 is, is over and done, do you think that they can recast... Downey Jr. then? No, no. Or do they just shelve Iron Man as a character and say, we're done with Iron Man, he's retiring from the Avengers, let's bring in Hercules, or whatever. Hercules. <laughs> or whatever. I mean, there are 8,000 Avengers, you know right. what I mean. Right. No, I think you can't do Iron Man without Downey Jr. He is Tony Stark. Yeah, and I think that's why I'm okay with there not being any more Iron Man movies, if that is the case, because yeah. you've said all you need to say about the character on his own. Absolutely. Give us two more great Avengers movies, and then give that version of the character a great send-off. Yeah. And then in Avengers 4, set up somebody else awesome. Sure. And I think it's a good move. Who's your next awesome Avenger they set up? Hercules. Really? <laughs> I do love Herc Daddy. <laughs> you know, I honestly, I would love it if they brought in the Vision. 
And I would love it if they brought in Wonder Man. I would, I would argue neither of which have quite the hut the chutzpah of Tony. I mean, they're not. Uh, listen, we don't all, have of, time all of the household names are already in the right. franchise, right. so you have to start branching out. Sure. Um, Black Panther would be nice. Ooh. Carol Danvers would be nice. Cuba Gooding Jr. is the Black Panther. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we have a follow up to one of our stories from a few weeks ago. DC Comics has revealed the mystery project reuniting the legendary creative team of Keith Giffen. J.M. DeMatteis, pardon me, pardon me, DeMatteis, J.M. DeMatteis, <laughs> and Kevin McGuire. I don't mean to, uh, you know, correct you. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Justice League 3000 launches this October, featuring the Justice League of the 31st century. DC also released art featuring new versions of some familiar faces designed by JLA veteran artist Howard Porter. Love it. Yes. Answering the recent rumor, the writers were quick to point out that this won't just be the League shoehorned in to the world of the Legion of Superheroes. According to co-writer Keith Giffen, quote, It's the future. It's the 31st century. The book is its own entity. Say dummy after the end of all these sentences. <laughs> it's the future, dummy. It's the 31st century, dummy. <laughs> and it's really not tied into much of anything at all. I mean, everyone knows who the Justice League is, so it's tied to the DCU in that way. But it would be unfair to put out a book that insists you're familiar with another book. That, I think, is a great philosophy. Thank you, Keith Giffen. The writers also insist that while their trademark humor will be present, the book will feature more than its share of big cosmic adventure. Matt Bomb, I'm a sucker for a good old-fashioned alternate future. What do you think? How are you not completely pissed about this? Well, we talked about it. I, li- I, I mean, like, personally, I'm not a Legion guy, so I could care less. I figured this would light your hair on fire. No, because the Legion has been shelved many times over the course of my lifetime. Sure. You know, sometimes it's just time for the Legion to take a break. But every time you were like, there's nothing wrong with the Legion. That's, and I would be like, you know why it's gone? Because it sucks. And you were like, <laughs> stop it. And well, now, that was then. This is now. They're this is the it, new 52. So they, let's say it's the, let's say hypothetically, it's a huge success. Justice League 3000. I don't think it will be. I predict canceled in 12 issues. But let's say it's a huge success. Are you okay with them never calling it the Legion of Superheroes again? It's not the Legion of Superheroes. It's a completely different book. As Keith Giffen just said. You're okay with this? Yes, I'm okay with it. I'm a little shocked. Why? Because I figured you'd be upset that, uh, you know, Ultra Boy and Karate Kid and Chameleon Lad or whatever the hell their names are are all getting shelled. Just because I like the Guardians of the Galaxy from the future doesn't mean I don't also like Spider-Man 2099. I mean, I get that. I, I don't know. This doesn't do much for me, and I don't care. And I really do. I, the last 12 issues, I'll be shocked. And I don't just mean to, like, naysay, but that's the reality of the situation here. The fact that they all look exactly like the they heroes kind of today. Do. They kind of do. Like, is and, Superman going to be there? Well, like, they were very coy about that. They were saying it's not time travel, and that's all they'll say. So it's is not Superman 3,000 years old? They won't say. Yeah. Like, if is it clones? I don't know. I'm going to check it out. This is not... I don't care, and this doesn't do much for me. I just figured, when I read this news story, I was like, oh, man, I'll bet Joe Patrick laid an egg. No, because... Really? Yeah. It's not like the Legion of Superheroes ceased to exist. They're still there. I suppose. And if this is its own book doing its own thing, I'm fine with it. Fine. And I like this creative team, and I think it sounds like a fun time. Now, I will say that based on the character art that they showed... I would totally rather Howard Porter be drawing this book. Yeah. Because Howard Porter was born to draw the Justice League. I love Kevin Maguire. I love him. But man, Howard Porter. 
come back to me. I'm times. just saying I don't care about this. I don't care about this, and I'm shocked that that you're not more upset that they are replacing your. Well, legion. I'm sorry that my happiness derails your ability <laughs> to create drama on our podcast. Hey, I'm trying to make a new show. I will here. say that one of the characters looks a whole lot like Wally West. Yeah, <laughs> red hair and green eyes. Yep. You can't see the rest of his face. Are you okay with it if this is how you get your Wally back? It depends on how they do it. Okay. Time will tell. So we'll see. Because we'll like, then maybe that Wonder Woman is Donna Troy, if that's the case. Could you know? be. I don't know. And, like, I'm willing to give this creative team the benefit of the doubt. They're being sketchy about it on purpose, which means there's a mystery there, and I want to see the mystery unfold. Or they're waiting for the editorial to tell them what they have to write. Oh, my God. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done talking to you. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where I've posted voyeur night vision video of Joe Patrick cuddling his Wally West Daki Makura. That's a Japanese word for life-sized love pillow. And it (laughs) is disgusting. Thank you for translating. I wasn't sure if I should be offended or not. Each week, the Dwayne Wade to my LeBron, Joe Patrick. See, I'm LeBron. You're Dwayne Wade. Post the question of the week on our Facebook. That doesn't even mean anything to you, does it? No. Okay. On our Facebook Should and Twitter. Should I be offended? No. I mean, he's good. <laughs> he's good. He's not LeBron no. good, but he's good. Sure. And we not only read your responses, but if you call us on Skype, our Skype name is Two Headed Nerd, or at our Ziggurat direct line, 402-819-4894. You can find both those contacts on our website as well. And leave us a message. We'll play them on the Answer of the Week audio blog exclusively at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe, what did we ask these nerds this week? This week's question was, what is your favorite comic book future timeline? I love it. You always do. If you want to hear us making fun of your answers along with our own, go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out the Answer of the Week audio blog later this week. It's edited now. It's edited now. It's yeah. not safe for... It's safe for everybody now. <laughs> it's safe for everyone. We don't have to keep coming up with W words. Nope. Thank God, because we ran out. Turns out there was only like 20 of them in the English yeah, I language. Know. <laughs> it's review time on THN, where Matt and I pluck two of this week's new comics from the garden to thump and smell to see if they're ripe. Matt, what did you read this week? This week, I read The Extinction Parade, number one from Avatar. This is written by Max Brooks with art by Raulo? Sure. I think so? R-A-U-L-O. Raulo Caceres. I think you nailed it. All right, I nailed it. Here's your solicit. As humans wage their losing fight versus the hordes of the sub-dead, a frightening realization sets in with the secretive vampire race. Our food is dying off. This is the story of vampire. <laughs> when you read it like that, it's kind of funny. Our food is dying off. Wait a minute. <laughs> this is the story of vampires' descent into all-out war with the mindless, hungry hordes of the zombie outbreak as humanity tries to survive them all. Three species in mortal conflict. This is how a species dies. Spoiler alert. I bet it's the humans. Uh, it doesn't look good. I really like the plot here, playing on the survival of the vampires, threatened by the loss of their food stock, which is humanity. It's clever, and it's a fun twist on the completely overused zombie trope right now. Brooks, who also wrote a little book called, what was it? Uh, World War something. I can't remember. 
I think there's a movie with Brad Pitt that comes out this World weekend. War Z. Thank you. For you for our <laughs> Canadian fans. He does a great job writing a very intelligent female vampire main character who I don't think is even named. Yeah, I think they were both like their first names were given, but well, they, it's irrelevant. She kept really. talking about the other girl, but I don't remember her name. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe they only yeah. named the other girl. The story is mainly told as narrative from the main female vamp's point of view, and it does get a little overwritten. But she also mentions that she's very old, so I guess it's a possibility that her thoughts are way more Dickensian than mine. <laughs> but she really likes to explain stuff. I'll say that. <laughs> Like I said, the story here is vamps versus zombies, and it's clever, but as I read this, I found myself asking the question, why would the vampires, who are walking, talking, thinking predators, at the very top of the food chain, allow their food source to become this threatened? Like, the second that small nations started being overwhelmed with zombies, shouldn't they have been like, hey... Hold on. Imagine, if you will, that cattle farmers everywhere were finding cows being devoured by, I don't know, goblins or something. <laughs> Humanity would immediately do something. Be like, whoa, 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 I need my Big Mac, you know? The main character spends most of the comic looking down at both humanity and zombies. Zombies, which they call the sub-dead. And it seems that someone... So intelligent as this main character may have noticed a little earlier that the zombies were taking over the world... And done something about it. But to be fair, maybe that's what's coming in this story. Well, right now, it's only a couple of small towns. Right. right? And well, it's somewhere in Malaysia. Yeah. And listen, like, yes, they're vampires. And yes, they're super smart and old. But it's not like they can be everywhere at once. And I like, got that. They don't necessarily know what's going on everywhere. Made it, they kind of made it look like to me that this was pretty widespread. Because well, everybody was talking about well, it. Well, one of them one of them says, you know, oh, I heard a rumor that they made it to Australia. Right. So, like, they're just, they're... They're just like us in that regard, where they're just like, oh, man, have you heard what's going on in place X? Right, and I got that. And like I said, maybe this is the first issue, and the way it was presented, it's more contained than I think it is. I don't know. It was kind of open to interpretation. I just flipped through this, and I think you're absolutely right. They do not name the name of the main character. Yeah, I don't think they they do. Caceres is a very talented artist who is maybe guilty of overdrawing just about every panel here. And at times, it kind of looks like he's drawing covers for 80s death metal bands like Coroner, Death Angel, or Exodus. And the 15-year-old skate punk in me should completely love it. But the art comes off as a little campy and a bit ridiculous, like something drawn by perhaps an angry 15-year-old skate punk. But <laughs> you know, it's one thing to draw gore, and there's plenty of it here, but it's another thing to draw so much of the gore that it becomes just comical, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I, it got a bit ridiculous. I want to, uh, this will be the second time in recent weeks that I have uh, quoted something Aaron Myers said in his Ludicrous Speed reviews. He reviewed this on our site, and he said that there's like an Avatar house style almost. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. while I think that there are some talented artists that have kind of gotten out of Avatar, like Juan Jose Rip, who is not my favorite. I think he's amazing. But I can see his talent. Uh, but the guys that they have drawn a lot of this stuff all have that same, like... They're interchangeable. Well, listen, um, I know it's gory, but can you make it, like, more gory? But it's not even that. It's like, can you make it more gory and completely crowded and just sort of overdraw yeah. to cover up the fact that... And I'm not trying to knock a series. I'm not an artist, and I feel guilty when I start knocking, guys, because I can't do this. And he's obviously talented. But I feel like a lot of these guys hide 
behind just completely crowding their panels with as much stuff as they can. You know what I mean? Sure. To maybe mask the fact that they're anatomically not the best artist or their depth isn't maybe the best. You know what I mean? Sure. We'll just cram a bunch of guts in there and a bunch of people biting people's faces and you'll be so grossed out by what you see that you let it go. This wasn't bad and I do plan to read more because I want to see where it's going. But while reading Extinction Parade, I got to say it's pretty obvious that this is a short story and not a book like World War Z. Yeah. It's a clever plot, but it might just be that. We'll have to see. I'm giving it a skim it. Yeah. And I think my last thing to say about the art is that sometimes less is more. Like, I appreciate the fact that you can draw such detailed pictures. Right. But you know what? Tone it down. I will say no one at Avatar seems to understand. Yes. It's not that the gore bothers me. No. It's not that at all. It's just that I get it already. Well, And there's just, there's so much Let in me tell you, every panel. Yeah. He drew the hell out of this. Charlie Adler in The Walking Dead yeah. draws a book that, compared to this, is minimalist in style. Oh, yeah. And I think it's much more chilling. Uh, yeah, I think Charlie Adler can... Show me panels that are way more disturbing. But other than that, I thought the issue was very well written. Very well written. And I don't know if it's a straight adaptation or if Max Brooks actually came in himself and tweaked his script into comic form or what. Yeah, it's hard to know. Sometimes with these book, with this book stuff... Like Frank Miller's RoboCop, for example. Oh, yeah. Which you Frank know, Miller like, has nothing to yeah, do with. Yeah, Frank Miller's name's all up on it, but like, he didn't do anything to it. Based on an idea written on a napkin passed to a guy <laughs> who came to me and said, this is Frank Miller's idea. You yes. Know? Uh, but however it got onto the page i thought it was very well written it's not my bag i'm giving it a skim it as well but i did appreciate it for what it was okay yeah joe patrick tell us about the age of ultron number 10 oh man age of ultron number 10 from marvel comics written by bm bendis art by brandon peterson carlos pacheco butch geist brian hitch alice malieve david marquez and joe casada everybody solicit the finale I did that once already. Finale. Listen, we did that joke. I think it's a finale. The biggest secret in comics will be revealed to you. An ending so confidential, even the artists of this book don't know what lies on the final pages. A surprise so big that comic book legend Joe Casada himself returns to the pages of Marvel Comics to draw a sequence that people will be talking about for years. This is the much-hyped final issue, sort of, of Age of Ultron, <laughs> and... Not that it is much hype. Yes, it's only sort of the final issue. There's like a there's a Age of Ultron number ten AI coming next week. Yeah, they got a lot of stuff. Yeah, to up. Uh, and I have to admit the whole series has been a bit of a mess. After spending way too much time in a present day world where Ultron has conquered and killed off most of his opposition, the heroes plan a suicide mission to take down the insane robot once and for all. But Wolverine has different ideas. He's the best he is at what he does. Yep. And what he does is travel through time. (laughs) That's right. It's almost impossible to talk about this issue at all without spoiling the entire series, so I'll stop short of mentioning any details. Suffice it to say that while the series as a whole was kind of overlong and all over the place in terms of quality, this final issue is a slam-bang, knockdown, drag-out, time-travel-y, comic-book-y finale. Nice adjectives. Thank you. And it was a blast to read. Bendis uses the book's pages to weave together all of the elements that have come before, including his Moon Knight run with Alex Maleev. Awesome. And Avengers 12.1 from a few years ago. Don't remember. I know, neither did I. <laughs> I mean, once I, saw the, once I saw the pages, I was like, oh yeah. It isn't perfect, and I have a lot of questions about how the timeline of this whole thing shakes out, 
But I have to give him credit for the long-term planning that went into the story. This issue is drawn by a who's who of talented artists, and the transitions between each artist's section make sense, but I wonder if the story would have been served better by having a single artistic voice. I'm not a huge fan of Brandon Peterson, for example, and I don't think Carlos Pacheco is delivering his best work, but I think maybe that's because he's got an incompatible inker uh, working on his stuff here. It's like, I've seen his pencils. Who's the inker? I I don't even know. Because I like both those guys a lot. Yeah, and... Lately, the stuff I've seen him working on at Marvel has just taken the things that I like about Carlos Pacheco and then, like, stripping them all out and making it completely sleek and smooth. Yeah. I can't deny that the sequence drawn by Butch Geis is especially stunning. It's beautiful. And David Marquez's section made me chuckle with glee. That's because that guy is awesome. Um, and well, it wasn't because of the quality, though the quality was there. Okay. But, like, I turned the page and I was like, <laughs> and I thought of Aura. <laughs> Finally, there's Angela. As you may remember from the solicit, Marvel promised a brain-bending super-secret revelation that would leave your mind spinning. Something so shocking that only Joe Quesada himself could be trusted to draw it. Well, spoiler alert, I'm sorry to say that Angela's appearance is pretty much it. But, according to Bendis, an unexpected press leak forced Marvel to get in front of the story by announcing the Angela news way before they wanted to. I don't buy it. I tend to believe him because the internet is full of jerks. Rich Johnson would be that jerk. Well, and, and somebody from Marvel, an intern, who knows? Okay, because like, he was the one that broke that. He broke the story, yeah. but he didn't like reach into Marvel hard drives and pluck the news. No. Like, somebody passed him that. Okay. And so, I, I tend to think... I tend to believe that it's not necessarily Marvel's fault that they ruined the surprise. Right. But they had no choice but to get in front of it. Okay. To take ownership of it. Is it know? really that, like, are you surprised? No. Do you care? But I probably would have been surprised had I not seen it coming. Not that I care about Angela one way or the other, but if I'd gotten to that end and saw Angela, I'd have been like, what the f***? <laughs> because I know who Angela is. But it as doesn't a even really look like Angela. It looks kind of like more like Barbarella to me. No, I think it looks. I think it's very reminiscent of Angela. She's got the headgear and the things on her eyes and the sashes okay. and the big axe. Like I, I, I recognize that visually as Angela. Okay. The only thing she's missing is giant dangly spawn earrings. Right. Right. And also to Marvel's credit, I was genuinely caught off guard by the revelation found in David Marquez's section of the issue. This is leading to a spin-off series that I thought was going to be completely skippable, and now I'm actually kind of excited for it. Really? Yeah. The AI series? No. No, something else. The Hunger series. Oh. It was like solicited as classified, classified, classified for all of its, all of its issues, and now we know what it is. I'm not going to say what it is, because I don't want to ruin it for the readers, but I, I think it's a wonderful idea, and I'm very interested in reading it. Okay. All in all, I thought Age of Ultron was a fun ride, if a little haphazard. This was a great finale that sets up several fun ideas that I think sound genuinely exciting. I am excited about the AI. Cool. Because I like Vision and Hank Pym. And I do too. Yeah, I do I'm too. looking forward to it. So I'm giving this a buy it. Okay. I am not caught up. <laughs> I read issue six this morning. My God. <laughs> yeah, I'm way behind. That's my project this weekend. So that is a double skim it for Extinction Parade number one and a lone buy it. 
for Age of Ultron number 10. Aren't you glad I didn't spoil everything? Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Of course, we want to know what you undead time-traveling robots thought of these comics, so zap your opinions back in time to the comments section for this episode at twitternerd.com. This week, Joe Patrick and I recanted our global warming beliefs when we realized this pattern of freak weather causing record tornadoes, hurricanes, fires, and flooding was not the result of man mistreating Mother Earth, but a doomsday plan by Mephisto himself. So we called our good friends Angela and Zoriel and Reverend Run to invade hell at angelic speeds to behead the devil and then review 10 comics for this week's ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed, go! X-Files, Season 10, Number 1 from IDW. This is co-written by Joe Harris and X-Files creator Chris Carter, and they definitely have the characters' voices down, which they should. Now, when they titled this Season 10, they meant it. The story picks up right where the show leaves off, and it did shake me a little. I had to kind of get back into it, and they sort of touched on some stuff that I didn't so much care about that happened towards the end of the X-Files. Artist Michael Walsh does a nice job here. He's a very Michael Lark type style, but his art does get a little boring during the conversational scenes. Nothing magic here, but it's not a bad read. I can only give it a skin. I was way more excited for this than it actually turned out to be. Green Lantern, New Guardians, 21 from DC. I have not enjoyed Green Lantern, New Guardians up to this point. Me either. But I'm jumping on with the new creative team of Justin Jordan and Brad Walker. This is essentially a, a new number one. With Kyle Rayner mentoring the LARPer Guardians. They totally look like LARPers. As they learn about the universe or whatever. I really missed Kyle. And Jordan really nails his voice. Brad Walker kills it on the art, of course. That guy is awesome. Yeah, he is good. This is a definite buy it. Wow. I'll give it a read. Yeah. 100 Bullets, Brother Lono, number one from Vertigo. Azarello and Rizzo throw us back into the 100 Bullets pool, and it's just as deep and as nasty as you remember. I loved this character the first time I read him, and it's great to see him again. More 100 Bullets is a good thing. Buy this, and if you haven't read 100 Bullets, go pick up those trades. It's an amazing Vertigo series. Listen, I'm talking to you, Legend Comics customers. There you go. We only sold eight copies of Brother Lono number really? one. That's less than half of the number of people that were reading the book. Wow. Get to it. Cable Next Force number 10 from Marvel. You know, I've been a little cold toward this series. You've been a real jerk towards this series. Listen, but I've recently got all the way caught up, and it's really growing on me. I like this series a lot. I thought that this issue in particular was a lot of fun. Cable's mutant midget mentor, Blacksmith, returns, and I love that little dude. He wasn't always a midget. Yeah, well, he was always, like, really small. No, some people drew him, like, regular size. No, I like yeah. it when he's tiny. I do, too. But, like, sometimes he was just, like, normal size. I will say that I am way out of love with Salvador La Roca. Like, way out of love. His art is great in parts, but then it's unbelievably bad in others. Still, the read was so fun. The script overshadows the art. It's a buy it from me. I still call him to sleep with him every once in a while, but I'm definitely not in love with him. <laughs> Baltimore, the Inquisitor from Dark Horse. Magnola and Golden introduce Lord Baltimore's nemesis, Judge Duvik. He's a priest and an exorcist working for the new Inquisition with his sights set on Baltimore. Ben Steinbeck is on art as usual here, and he's doing an amazing job fleshing out Baltimore's world. I love this corner of the Hellboy U so much. It's stupid. Judge Duvik is terrifying, (laughs) and I cannot wait to see what happens when he catches up to Baltimore. Buy this! Indestructible Hulk, number nine from Marvel. This is the first part of the Blind Justice arc teaming up Hulk and Daredevil. This is both written by Mark Wade. This is wonderful stuff. 
Mateo Scalera's art is great. He is great. Wade's script is hilarious and thrilling. I'd go so far as to say that this is a fine place for a new reader to jump on because he really kind of puts it all out there. Everything you need to know about what's going on with the Hulk, it's right there. He's let it all hang out. Mark Wade's a pro. He knows how to do it. And I heartily recommend that people check this book out. It's a huge buy it from me. Liberator number one from Black Mask. This is the story of an animal rights vigilante that avenges animal cruelty. And man, is it heavy-handed. I am not interested in reading that book. <laughs> the dialogue is bad. The story felt forced and the art was not very good. I'm not sure what they're going for here, but I was not as impressed with this as I am with the other BM offerings. I gotta give this a leave it. It just didn't work at all. It's like they live in this city where there's constantly animal rights protests going on and like I don't know. It it didn't work at all. Leave it. Fantastic Four number nine from Marvel. I'm enjoying Matt Fraction and Mark Bagley's take on the Fantastic Four more and more with each issue. It's not the super cerebral epic that Jonathan Hickman was telling, but it's a fun, straightforward adventure that, dare I say it, has more heart than Hickman's run did at times. Mm. Yeah. It was different. Hickman's run was all about the kids, like fathers and their kids. This is more about like the family as a whole, and especially Ben and Reed, and I like it. In this issue, Reed and Ben go back in time to witness the moment of Doctor Doom's creation, and they aren't alone. Really fun stuff. Buy it. Avengers number 14 from Marvel. This is Hickman setting up the prelude to Infinity, which is going to be a whole thing involving space and sci-fi and time and everything Jonathan Hickman. But you know what? Pretty neato. There's some weird living tribunal people that are building something scary. They get called to the Earth. In a way that I don't really understand. Yeah, I don't understand a lot that's going terrible, on. Terrible, terrible stuff is happening. It does seem a little funny that no one else outside of the Avengers books are mentioning what's happening to planet Earth and the Marvel U right now, but I really like it. Stefano Caselli, his art I love that is dude. incredible. I it love that been guy. good before. He's better than I've ever seen him. I'm giving this a buy. Whatever. Still doesn't quite feel like an Avengers book to me. Wild Blue Yonder, number one from IDW. I wasn't expecting a lot from this series by Stuff of Legends, Mike Raked. I'm sorry, Mike, if oh, that's wrong. That's, I, damn it, I knew I knew that name. And The Capes, Zach Howard. I like him. I like that creative team, but I saw it on the record and I was just like, eh. But I was totally blown away. This is the story of a world where pollution and war and radiation has choked the planet and forced humanity to move to the skies. Jetpacks, sky pirates, giant airships. It's like Tailspin <laughs> without the talking bears. <laughs> well, maybe there are talking bears. I don't know. Plus, this was a Kickstarter project that made good. I'm happy to see it. I loved it. Huge buy it. I'm like, knock me over with a feather. Huge surprise. Fair enough. Drink. Snip. That is your ludicrous speed round. And snip is the sound of some poor fool's fingers getting cut off, as seen in this week's issue of 100 Bullets. Brother Lono, number one. If you didn't buy it, it's a scene where a guy threatens a baby with a buck knife. <laughs> it's a serious book. Yowza. Yeah. With great sadness in our hearts, Matt and I said goodbye to our friend James Gandolfini. Which I spoke the PH. Yes, you did. <laughs> But know that he did not die in vain. With the help of our friend, Brother Voodoo's dead brother. He's the ghost. I got it. I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> I got it. Chuck Voodoo. Chuck. 
Charles. We will speak to James, piercing the veil of death, to see what secrets he has learned in the void about next week's comics. Matt, what has this ghostly knowledge got you excited for next week? Next week, I'm excited for Uncanny, number one, from Dynamite, written by Andy Diggle, with art by Aaron Campbell. Here's your solicit. Six billion skill sets, one last chance. Weaver is unique, or so he thinks. Born with an uncanny ability, he can steal other people's skills, their memories, abilities, and expertise for a limited time. A man with a power like that could change the world. But as a professional gambler, con man, and thief for hire, Weaver prefers to look out for number one. That is, until he finds himself drawn into a dangerous game of international intrigue where the rules keep changing the players are hidden, and the first thing he stands to lose is his life. And maybe, just maybe, he isn't so unique after all. I think this sounds awesome. I think it sounds totally awesome. It's sort of like a Taskmaster type story. <laughs> kind of. He's like Rogue. He's like the Taskmaster without a skull face. Yeah. Joe Patrick, what are you excited for next week? My pick for next week is Lazarus, number one from Image Comics. Written by Greg Rucka, with art by Michael Lark. In a dystopian future... Here's your solicit. <laughs> okay, thanks. Okay. They get it. They, they know the drill at this I point. I didn't want to think you were making this part up. <laughs> In a dystopian near future, government is a quaint concept. Resources are coveted. And possession is 100% of the law. A handful of families rule, jealously guarding what they have and exploiting the waste who struggle to survive in their domains. Forever Carlisle defends her family's holdings through deception and force as their protector, their Lazarus. Shot dead, defending the family home, Forever's day goes downhill from there. I don't know what that last sentence means. It means... But this is a huge... She's set up from the deed. Her name is Forever? Forever Carlisle. That's crazy. <laughs> this is a huge departure for, my, for Greg Rucka. I don't know. Huge. I, listen, I don't care. I don't, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't care what it's about. Greg Rucka is back doing a comic book with Michael Lark. Yeah. And no, I want to read it. I'm down. Like, I want to read it more than anything else coming out next yeah. week. If the solicit was, Greg Rucka goes to the grocery store and has <laughs> to have an emergency bathroom stop. <laughs> like, is Michael Lark drawing it? Illustrated by Michael I'm Lark. in. <laughs> no, this looks really cool. Yeah. I mean, and aside from my love of Greg Rucka, it actually does sound like a fun concept. And... This book was announced like at last year's Image Expo. Yeah, yeah. And it's finally here, and I can't wait to read it. The THN trade of the week goes to the Before Watchmen Silk Spectre Deluxe Hardcover, which actually also contains Minutemen 1 through 6 and Silk Spectre 1 through 4. Both were written by Darwin Cook. The second story was drawn by Amanda Connor, and it was absolutely gorgeous. I know you guys are still pissed. I know you want to say, well, did you just leave Watchmen alone? These were so well done. I really enjoyed all of these. And I highly, highly... Most of them. Which one didn't you like? Most of them. I, I liked both of these. I liked all of them. I really did. I was not fond of um, the Night Owl one. Oh, see, I really liked it. No. I thought it was fun. You're just mad at J. Michael Straczynski, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Len Wein wrote the Night Owl. Who wrote the Night Owl? No, that was JMS. Oh, yeah. yeah. Len Wein wrote Ozymandias. Yeah. And it was good. Jay Lee drew it. It's true. 
Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to. So, be <laughs> did we tell anybody anything? There? It's from DC Comics. <laughs> Of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to, so be sure to tell us what your recently dead celebrity friends have you excited for next week over on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash two-headed nerd. I didn't say period. Good. Once a month, right about this time, Joe Patrick and I sit down to prove to the whole world that we can read a book longer than 32 pages, just like a couple of big boys. This one was over 100. This time, we sat down with J. Michael Straczynski and Shane Davis's Superman Earth One Volume 2. This was, of course, the follow-up to JMS's critical and sales hit, Superman Earth One Volume 1, which, as loyal listeners may remember, Matt and I thought was fine. At best. At best. Here's your solicit. Young Clark Kent continues his journey toward becoming the world's greatest superhero, but finds dealing with humanity to be a bigger challenge than he ever imagined. From a ruthless dictator to a new love interest who's not Lois Lane. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> things are never easy for this emerging Man of Steel. And the worst is yet to come, in the form of a man monster with an insatiable appetite, the Parasite. The only thing that might appease his hunger is the last son of Krypton. I'm pretty sure that's not supposed to say the last yeah, son of Kryptonian. Probably not. But that will also mean he will have Superman's powers without his conscience, and Kal-El cannot come anywhere near him, even though he has to stop him. So this is Earth-1. This is not the Superman we recognize. This is, yeah, this is an alternate take. Think of it if you want to, like, ultimate DC. Sure. This is your ultimate Superman. And J. Michael Straczynski is putting his stamp on the character, setting him aside, saying... Because Superman grounded... Didn't get stamped into the ground enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was bad. So as I remember it, this story picks up pretty much where the last one left off. Yeah. Superman, Superman has established himself. He's in the world. The government's aware of him. And now he's working for the Daily Planet. Yeah, he's faced down the alien invasion from the first one. He's working for the Daily Planet. I, I like that the government is completely distrusting of him here. They're like, sure. yes, we appreciate what Superman did, but he's made it very apparent that we cannot control him. And at any time, it, they, I think there's even, they make the statement that like he could end all life on the planet within a week. Sure. Basically yeah. with his powers. And in reality, if Superman were to show up around today, yeah, there would be a lot of distrust built up around him. And I like that JMS is developing that here. But at the same time, I have some issues with there's some choices that he made that seem to just be making choices for the sake of making the story slightly different that really don't add anything to the story. Like Lois Lane is present in the story, but the love interest is a Lisa LaSalle who is, she is his new neighbor, a slutty tattooed neighbor who turns out to be a hooker. Sometimes. Spoilers. She's a hooker. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it didn't really work for me. You know, like there was little things like they, they show, uh, his dad, Pa Kent, talking to him about how he probably can't ever have sex with anybody. Because, <laughs> you yeah. know, he, like, I don't necessarily need I don't that. need that, no. Yeah, and I'm not, and I'm definitely not a prude. Joe Patrick is the prude on this show. We both know that. <laughs> but it's little things like that that made this book, piece by piece, feel like maybe we don't need this. You know what I mean? Well, like, the first one was what it was. 
and it sold a bunch of issues. But going into this one, I certainly didn't feel like I needed to read more. And after I was done with it, after I sat down and went, okay, it wasn't poorly written. And there were parts of it that I liked. I liked the thing about how he had a cat and the cat died and he buried the cat on the No, moon. wait, listen. Like, Superman is a dog person. He, that, but that's the other side of it. I was like, well, wait a minute. Superman grew up with dogs. Did he grow up with a cat just so J. Michael Straczynski could be like, see, he's different. He's my Superman. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there wasn't enough that was different about the character, in my opinion, to warrant this kind of story. It was just slightly different than the Superman we already have and set in the modern day. And it leads me asking a question that I know you hate. Do we need this? On paper, I like the idea. I like. I see what DC was going for with the Earth, uh, the Earth One line. God, it's hard not to call it Earth Two. I know the idea that this is a a graphic novel presenting a version of Superman retold in the modern context, stripped free of all the baggage of continuity. Here you go, new reader. Right. This is Superman. I, on paper, I, I think that that is a fine idea. In execution, I think the Superman Earth-1 books fall down. Yeah. It's not that I don't need to see... Like, I'm fine seeing the story of young Clark Kent becoming the man we know him to be sure, now. Sure, sure. And I think that's all well and good. I actually don't hate the whole part about Lois not being a part of his life, only their only co-workers. Yeah, no. And- because that relationship has to build. Right. And I'm even fine with him befriending a lady of the night. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Because he doesn't know that when he moves in. And even so, Superman's a nice guy. He doesn't judge anybody yes. like that. I will say that things that really bothered me, like I found a lot of the dialogue to be completely unbearable. Yes. There was some like, really bad dialogue here. You know, Superman is a man of the people. We get it. But do we really need to see... His junkie friend sitting on the stoop singing Bob Dylan songs. Well, see, that was a thing. Four pages at a time. Right. It felt like there were parts of it that felt like he was just adding stuff to add it. And, you know, like the thing with the junkie. Superman moves into a building. There's a junkie on the front stoop. And he doesn't pay much attention to him. He just... Talks to him here and there and goes about his life and fights the parasites. And he uses his x-ray vision and sees that he's got drugs right. in his coat. And after, after the parasite battle is resolved, the book does not end. It goes on for a little while. Yeah. And it, in my opinion, drug on for a little while after the parasite battle ended. And we see that the junkie guy ODs and dies. And Superman goes, oh, man, I should have paid attention to that guy. Well, what are you going to do, Superman? No, uh, you know what? Yes, you should have, because you looked into his coat and sure. saw drugs. But here's the thing. These are not the kind of problems that Superman tackles, nor are the kind of problems he should be tackling. I disagree. With. What does he do? I disagree, because that's Superman. He's, what, what does Superman do to make that guy better? I don't know. Uses heat vision to turn his vial of whatever into a an unusable brick. How does that stop him from going to get more drugs later? I don't know. And See, then he can talk to the guy. And talk him out of doing drugs. You ever met anybody who does heroin? Listen, <laughs> like, I have. You're arguing. You're arguing the realism of Superman being a beacon of hope. I'm not arguing. We that. had this whole argument in the Man of Steel. I'm show. not arguing that. What I'm arguing is the way that JMS chose to inject certain things into this book. 
to make it more modern and real life. And I don't think that one worked. Because, like, we see Superman goes into his apartment later on, and he's written all this stuff on the walls. Like, hey, Superman, can you save me? Superman, can you hear my sad thoughts? Or whatever. It just it fell flat, and it didn't work. Well, I know what they were. he was going for. I know what he was going, he was for, going for. He was going for the whole thing. Right. In, in Superman the movie in 1978, Pa Kent dies, drops dead of a heart attack. Right. And you get the scene at the funeral where young it's Clark like, says, power. for all of this power I have, I couldn't save him. And Straczynski is saying, you know what? That's right. Here's a modern take on that. The junkie's going to do drugs no matter what, and Superman can't stop him. Now right. he's dead. And I get that. I just think it fell flat. And I don't think it worked. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, and we're I over-discussing think, a very small part. And I think that the fact that, that Superman... Here, here's the difference between this scene and the th- thing in the movie is that there's literally nothing Superman can do to save somebody from a heart attack. But if Superman sees that a guy's got drugs in his pocket, he do something about it. But he's not going to save him from being a drug addict. But he can do something. Oh, please. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is that he knows and he didn't try. Fine. We're over-discussing. Yes, we are. I mean, he didn't try for the sake of the story because they wanted him to go into the apartment later on and be like, oh, man. Oh, look at this guy. He was a lunatic. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad he's dead. There was just so much about this that didn't work. I mean, the scene where he figures out that Lisa LaSalle is a hooker. She's being beaten by one of her Johns inexplicably for no reason <laughs> and he flies hey him to siberia them johns is fine and drops him off in the middle of like some frozen continent and says start walking you can probably get there's a village five miles from here what if the guy freezes to death is superman okay with that i mean is this guy capable of doing that you know like my superman is not gonna do that well now like in this scene i do while i agree to an extent there is definitely an implication that this dude's gonna be fine he's gonna be real uncomfortable right I here's the line. I can see a village just west of here. Start walking now. You'll be there by nightfall. Right, right. However, you get back to America is not my problem. It just seems to me that this Superman it is vicious. Like is a little more vengeful, and that doesn't make him better. It doesn't add anything to the character. There is a really there's a, an interesting scene where he goes to um, a made up country, and there's a dictator there, and his soldiers are you know punishing the people or whatever. And the, he basically says, get the hell out of here, or you're going to start an international incident, and you said that isn't what you want to do. And Superman realizes, well, yeah, this is going to be bad for all these people if I do this or whatever, and I can't just murder the guy, even though I'm fantasizing about it a little bit, you know? And then later on in the book, he comes back to the country and essentially murders the guy. Murders the guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's... that's the, the, it, it We resolves. need to put a spoiler warning at the beginning. Yeah, we should. Okay. It resolves with him coming back to the country and allowing the people that this guy yes. was holding down to wholesale murder him. Now, you, that don't, is, you don't see it. You don't you see it. You definitely don't see it. But you do see Superman freeing the political prisoners. It's definitely implied. Arming them with AK-47s. Yeah. He's in the room. He takes the guns and from the then soldiers. <laughs> in the next page, on the next page, as Superman is talking to the general, you see these political prisoners right. executing soldiers. Yeah. That's not What Superman. do you think is going to happen? That's what the authority does. That's yes. not what Superman does. And what I think, what I, ultimately what I'm getting at here is I think JMS, in trying to put his own stamp on Superman... And give us this modern Superman, much like what we said about Man of Steel, lost something. Right. And I will, like, if I were to give somebody, if somebody asked me what's a good example of Superman that I can just get in on the ground floor, 
Superman Earth One would be the farthest thing from my yeah from my mind. Well, I, I just don't think we need this. I don't think we need this. I don't think it adds anything to the character. I don't think it's doing anything for the mythos. It, and I disagree, like to the extent that I do think we need it. I just think that it's being executed very poorly because okay. remember how much we loved Batman Earth One. Yeah. It was great. And so the idea of the line I'm not saying it can't is be done not with. the problem. No. It's the way Straczynski is handling the character. And this is the guy who once said in an interview that he would crawl naked through broken glass to write Superman. Yeah. That's and, a quote. And he might quit in the middle of his <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, and he's got the tone of the character so far off. And like we said on the Man of Steel show, it's not about what, quote unquote, our Superman is. It's about what the core of the character right, is, the regardless. Idea, the idea of the character. Regardless of the minutiae. Like, I don't mind there's a scene where Superman fantasizes about basically murdering, like, this dictator and his soldiers and stuff. I don't mind that. I believe because that he, he has those... Because he doesn't do it. I believe he has those thoughts. I mean, and instead, fine. instead, what it seems like is he fantasized about murdering the general and his soldiers and then followed through. Right. Let's we need move. to switch gears and talk about other things in the book. Let's talk about the art. Let's, you didn't like the parasite. Let's talk about the art. I, I did not like Shane Davis here at all. I, I don't know if it is the inking or the coloring. I did not like the way this looked. See, and I do like Shane Davis. I, I just like don't the des- like the way he draws Superman. I don't like the design of the parasite. I thought it looked stupid. I thought I the thought parasite looked creepy Superman and gross. Bizarre. I, I, I just, I don't know. And again, I can't put my finger on it because there's nothing that he drew that looks amateurish. There's nothing that it looks underdrawn or overdrawn. It's nothing like that. It just does not look good to me. There are panels that just looked bad. I will I won't I won't agree with that. I, I think that for the most part the art is very good. I just question a lot of the design choices. Okay. Like, I think Superman is poorly designed. Yes. And it's not the minor costume changes. It's the way that he draws him. He's kind of wiry. And even when he's Superman-y and he's clearly muscly, he's on the small side. Yeah. And he's got this moppish hair. Well, he's young. And I get that he's young. I get it. It's just, it, it, kinda, fall, it just doesn't do it for me. He kind of looks like a Jonas brother. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it does nothing to convince me yeah. that this is Superman. It's not, it, like I said, it's not the changes. It's just, it doesn't seem right for the character. And I, like, this is the ultimate DCU. Redesign every, anything you want. Sure. It's just, the choices he made didn't do it. Yeah, I and mean, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to on all fronts, creatively, is that if they're trying to set this apart as a different Superman story for someone who just wants to pick up Superman story and read it without any shackles of continuity or whatever, or just a retelling of the Superman story, then do something ballsy. Do something ballsy and different. They didn't do that here. They changed a couple things here and there, and the choices they did make, I think, led us further away from the character. Well, it, 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 is, it really is the same problem that I had with the Man of Steel movie. You can, you can make minute changes all you want as long as the core of the character remains the same. Right. And I don't think the core of the character remains. That's what I'm same. saying. They made just enough minute changes to lose it. On a positive note, there's an epilogue here where we get a tease for, I'm sure, Volume 3. And uh, he introduces Lex Luthor and Lex Luthor's wife. And I actually kind of think it's clever. I didn't care. Yeah, I mean, I don't need this like sexy bedroom scene that they put in at Which the end. Which really weird. But I do kind of like the whole idea that Lex has a brilliant wife 
and they are like a partnership. They are a team, and the government comes to them. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. To to find a way to kill Superman. I'll tell you what, though. Lex Squared is a stupid name for a company. Yeah, that's what they call themselves. <laughs> what should we call you? We're called Lex Squared. Because his name is Lex and her name is Alex. Dumb. Alexandra. Dumb. But, oh, whatever. I But I like the idea of Lex Luthor as a husband and wife team. It's different. Okay, pardon me. Superman Earth 1 Volume 2. Rate it. I can see the potential there. Rate it. I'm getting to it. I can see the potential there, though it, there's a lot going on that didn't do it for me. I think that it's there, though, if they can just get there. I'm giving it a skim it. I'm giving it a leave it, because I yeah. don't care. I just don't care. And I mean, there's there's enough good Superman stuff out there to read. I don't need this. Sure. I mean, I, I think it, it can be fun. I just think it, they need to make some changes. So that's a skim it from Joe Patrick, and a leave it for me, for Superman, Earth One, Volume Two. If there is a book that you would like to hear us review, and when I say book, I mean trade paperback, graphic novel, send us an email and suggest something you want to hear us review. Joe Patrick, what are we reviewing next month for Take a Look at Send a Book? Next month, we are taking a breather from superhero graphic novels. Thank God. I know. And we are reviewing Primates, The Fearless Science of Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey, and Berute Galdakis. It's going to be a tearjerker, I can tell. <laughs> I know. This is by Jim Ottaviani and Maris Wicks. I don't know anything about it other than what it says in the title, but it's getting tremendous buzz. We're going to give it a read. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. A little something different for a change. I'm no Superman. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the James Gandolfini Memorial episode of THN. If you loved him in the Mexican as much as we did, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or Stitcher. Where? It was a great movie. I forgot about that movie. Oh, I loved it. You can swear your THN allegiance by leaving us a star rating and written review. Sure, thumbs up and help us to connect with other potential listeners. I didn't say potential. Good job. Huge thanks to all our past donors. And if you'd like to help keep us in stripper paychecks and therapy sessions, you can make your donation in any amount using our adorable little PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Click it before it ends up on the poll, guys. Seriously. <laughs> That's right. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed at TwoHeadedNerd, our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, our YouTube channel, THN Comicast. There's not a lot there yet, but it's going to get great soon. Our Skype handle, TwoHeadedNerd, and our direct phone number, 402-819-4894. Tattoo it on your forehead. Where you can send slash call us your Ask a Nerd questions, or ask the comic pushers what you should be reading, or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, whatever. And don't forget to check out all the new content for the THN Love Slaves over to editnerd.com, including the second part of Casey's Game of Thrones Season 3 recap, which almost killed our copy editor Shasta, because she hasn't seen it yet. And the Credible Hulk, rapping about ducktails, race cars, lasers, aeroplanes. It's a duck blur. <laughs> it truly is. <laughs> Remember to follow us on Twitter. <laughs> I've been waiting all week to say that line. Race cars, lasers, and aeroplanes. <laughs> Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. Let's solve a mystery <laughs> or rewrite history. Bruce Springsteen sings the DuckTales theme song. <laughs> and if you want to hear your fellow listeners' answers and our own, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com exclusive audio blog, The Answer of the Week. Next week, sometime, Fridays, 
sometime. Next week, I'm chasing down a very special interview for our Inside the Comic Studio. So special, they can't tell you about it because if it falls through, I don't want to look like a schmuck. Before we go, <laughs> our weekly shout-out goes to our mystery fans in Baltimore, Maryland that work for my little brother, Michael, at Kaplan University. You know what? I don't even know if it's Baltimore, so I recant on that. Word to you guys, and I'm sorry Mikey couldn't be bothered to tell me your names. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Goodbye. Finally. <laughs> <laughs>